Hi there, I'm Malin. I'm a sex therapist from Sweden, Stockholm. I'm sitting in the archipelago and I've been all night thinking of the attachment systems in colors. Then I started surfing online and I found your podcast and later on the video with your attachment spectrum. I am so grateful you made me relax into your model instead of having to build one myself. So thank you, thank you. And I will continue following you on your podcast. So bye from Sweden. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. This is a podcast that breaks down interpersonal science into practical and understandable tidbits. And as you listen, I can just imagine little light bulbs of insight appearing above your head. Absolutely. You're going to be surprised and touched at what you learn about yourself as you get more accurate and in-depth view of your mind and your heart, and as you figure out those close to you. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey gang, I've got two quick things to tell you before we jump to the show. One is a quick story about our guests, so I'll get to that in one second. But first, we wanted to tell you that we're really excited. We have been meaning to get to sit down and record more for actual in-depth, you know, deep dive into more of the attachment stuff. We have been listening to you and we've got so many requests for more education and kind of more of an advanced track. We have begun to put together the course. So we're really excited about that. Those of you who have been asking for either more application, how to apply it to yourselves and your loved ones and therapists that want to know more and really get into the nitty gritty of it. So we are on the case. Keep an ear out for that. In the meantime, I'm very excited to tell you about this story too, which is that we had a listener that got so jazzed about what we were talking about and it was really changing her life. And she will say that learning about this material and really being able to apply it. Her thing was that she was able to apply it in her career because she worked with adult learners. She just saw some of the trauma happening in the classroom. So she was able to put together a fellowship from Australia, which by the way, shout out to all you Australians. We have a great listenership there. I think that maybe behind the United States, you might be uh, our number one. So (laughs) big wave to you and you're going to love Leno. She came and met us, which was awesome. But then she was also able to tour across the United States and in Canada and met with thought leaders and people who were applying it in different settings. And so she's today is going to bring you the best practices. She brought them back to Australia and is now speaking and teaching on this material, which is so great because it was able to seed more intervention in various ways across other countries. So we are so proud of that. But you'll love Leno. It'll be the best practices and kind of what she learned and kind of her takeaway nuggets. But also the population is interesting. So don't glaze over if you don't work with adult learners. It's not just about that. But I want to say one thing about adult learners. They didn't make it the first round in our educational system. What I would say is the educational system didn't support them enough. You know, the institutions weren't able to take care of these this group of people 
And so you can imagine that as they come back through, that it's going to be really important to engage them. So anybody that works with trauma, these are folks with multiple risk factors. So those of you in the trenches, anybody in education, and then of course, if any of this stuff applies to you, if you're an adult learner, which I get, I hope I am, I hope everybody is, we're all adult learners. But she's going to speak directly about some of that as well and ways to think of it that is applicable to everybody. So I'm just delighted to bring you Leno Rhodes, interviewed by my co-host, Ann Kelly. Hi, welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. I'm Ann Kelly, and I am here with a special guest all the way from Australia. I am here with Leno Rhodes, and she is in, to, in education and adult literacy. Leno, tell us a little bit about yourself. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Anne. So I work in uh, adult education and I work in an adult language and literacy centre. So we teach adults who are newly arrived to Australia or long-term migrants, refugees. We teach them English. But we also teach adults who may be second-generation migrants or people who have literacy issues. So would you say, so individuals that you're talking about refugees and adult migrants, these are individuals that have had and likely experienced a bit of stress and trauma in their lives. Is that accurate? Yep, pretty much. Most of our adult language students have experienced especially trauma, especially if they've come from some of the African nations and we have some, we have some Vietnamese people who were refugees back in the 80s and 70s. So, yeah, we have a place called Foundation House in Melbourne who they teach educators and social workers about dealing with trauma and working with people who have experienced that kind of trauma in their own countries. But the area that I'm especially interested in is adult literacy learners Mm. because I think they have their own traumas that are quite invisible and my sort of thoughts are that people don't realise that when adults come to the classroom, it's not like children who come to the classroom to learn how to read and write. Adults have a whole bunch of experience behind them that usually it's about the classroom being an unsafe space. So when they come back to the classroom as adults, we've got a whole lot of other stuff to unpack and to work with to create a safe learning environment. Oh, no, that would make sense. So you're saying that many of the adult literacy learners that you work with, that when they were in school before or in any kind of educational setting, you're saying that it often was not a positive experience. So coming back in, and I imagine coming back in and having adult literacy issues and not being able to read to capacity, that would be really stressful. Yeah. So I'm talking about a very small population of people with literacy issues because we know that like literacy is on a spectrum as well. I don't buy into the binary of literate or illiterate. We see literacy as a social practice so that it goes right across the spectrum from people who can sort of read street signs to people who can read academic literature. We talk about everyone having literacy practices in different kinds of domains as well. So when there's... Some people who didn't have a good starting life with their literacy because of stuff going on at home. Maybe there was addiction issues. Maybe there was abuse happening, poverty that made it really difficult for them. 
So when they come to school as little ones, you know, their minds are, or their brain is, is sort of shut down in the learning space because they've got all these other problems going on at home that makes it difficult for them to learn when they're in school. And so they either sort of go into their shut down little ones where they're just sort of daydreaming and out the window or maybe they're the kids who become the so-called naughty kids who that just gets reinforced by the teacher. So all the way through school they become the naughty kid or the daydreamer who sits at the back of the classroom and doesn't get noticed. So their literacy, literacy issues really don't get addressed. And quite often they become who the teachers or their parents or their peers set them out to be, which is the kid who can't read or the kid who can't write or, or so on. Yeah, I imagine it gets cumulative, doesn't it? The further to the back of the class and the more they start seeing themselves as with the identity of whatever they've been given, I can imagine that, that it just starts intensifying and their distance from education gets greater and greater. Exactly. Yeah, so then they believe that about themselves and they also quite often, well, at least back in my, you know, when I was at school, they would be punished severely for not being able to read and write and the classroom would become a very unsafe space. When adults return to the classroom who have that background, they're coming into a space that is threatening to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quite vulnerable as adults returning to study. It takes a lot of courage, I think, and I really applaud anyone who comes back to study to um, address the literacy issues because I just think, wow, you know, they've been through so much and they're coming to address something that's become a sort of core thing for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is the group that comes to your centre specifically? What is the general motivation for them to pick up as adults and come back in to further their education? I think that they really want to improve their lives and be able to read and write beyond the levels that they can. And you know, education, literacy can be quite a big barrier. So for some people, it's about being able to read their children's work from school, sorry. And oh, I heard a great story the other day. One of the teachers said that she interviewed someone for coming into our centre and they said that they dropped off their children at school and it was book week. Do you have book week? We do. Yeah, it was book week and she dropped her children off at school and she saw that every other child was dressed up as a book character, but her children weren't because she couldn't read the newsletter. So she said, I never want to do that to my kids again. I want to be able to read the newsletter. You know, that was her motivation. Oh my gosh, that is like, I just stopped to think about that. And for those of us that were able to get through our educational, our early educational programs with the ability to read and do math. And I think we just can be unaware about how much reading we do every single day just to get by and to help our kids get by. So that's a really powerful story. Yeah. And for some people, I think that they've gone from, you know, their school to a place like ours. And even though It can be a threatening place, but it's also a really safe space because our learners are really welcome. We're a small centre. There's a TAFE system, which I think is like your community college Mm -hmm. system. So we're in between sort of school and the community college place. So 
learners can come to us and know we've got wraparound services. We're linked in social workers and psychologists and other health professionals. We really assist learners to go through and be really welcome and to feel like it's a part of their life. Like we have events that celebrate different parts of what's happening in community. We have cultural days and adult learners week and, you know, all different things that the bigger institutions can't really do. So you really make it, what you're saying is you make it a really safe space that to be accepted and to go there and to not, you know, once they start going there, they feel safe that they can get into an environment that supports them learning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, Luna, like before we met you, and I'm going to tell the listeners that we, Sue and I, had the wonderful experience of getting to meet Lena when she came to the United States to do some research. And at that time, I had very little knowledge about adult literacy. And I really felt like I got such a great education from you. And part of that is just that, like I was saying before, just how many people that adult literacy issues impact I think we just probably even underestimate in the United States, especially, ah, gosh, I'm stopping to think about all the kids right now that we're keeping at the border and the trauma that they're going through and just how easy it is to get your education interrupted or because of personal trauma, like you were mentioning before, that you start disengaging from the regular school system. And then what a long-term, you really helped me understand what a long-term impact that can have on people's lives. So it was so motivating to meet you and to understand kind of the work you're doing and how extremely important it is. So let's talk about that. Tell us how we ended up meeting and how you ended up coming to the United States to do some work for Australia. It sort of started when I when I was at work one day and one of the students came to me and said that she felt like her teacher was trying to move her on out of the classroom because she said, you know, you can go and get a job. You've been here for ages, you know, many years now and you'd be really great working in, in the retail environment and you've got all these skills and was really talking her up. But she came to me and she presented this as that the teacher wanted to get rid of her. At that time, I'd done a little bit of research into attachment and regulation and I thought, that sounds really like that she's hearing one thing but the teacher's saying another. So I had a chat with the teacher and she said, yeah, you know, she's, she's really ready to leave and take a leap and I'm really trying to help her understand that she's ready for an employment and be great if she could get a job, it'd be really good for her. So I thought there's, there's a really big chasm here where, yeah, students obviously become triggered into hearing what I think she was hearing was, you know, she doesn't want me anymore, I'm no good, she wants to get rid of me and um, was com- becoming completely dysregulated. And I thought if teachers could understand about attachment and about regulation and a few other theories that I hadn't sort of investigated yet and be able to pass those on to students, wouldn't that be a powerful experience for us as educators and for students to also know that they in a reactive space rather than just hearing what's happening? Yeah, really good point. 
Yeah, so I thought um, I'd heard about these fellowships that were on offer at that point, the International Specialised Skills Fellowships that offered once a year in the education area for Australians to go overseas and see best practice and do some research with experts and bring that back to Australia. So I applied and I was successful and I was totally thrilled. So I had been listening to the Therapist Uncentered podcast. I got in touch with you guys and um, you made me so welcome and put me in touch with some other people. So I had a, a really great experience. Yeah, she was able to come to the United States to do multiple locations to learn about attachment and emotional regulation. You came here and saw us. And at that time, David Elliott was here. And you also went to California. And who did you visit with in California? I went to the Center for Connection, which is Tina Payne Bryson, I think. Yes, we've had Tina. Yeah. And I visited with Deborah Horry and Olivia Martinez Haig, Mm -hmm. I think that's the right way to pronounce. And they both work with children who have learning differences. And we talked a lot about safety in the classroom and how, you know, some different ways of bringing the safety for students. And, um, yeah, that was very, very educative and I had a great experience there. And I also went up to New Hampshire to visit Kirk Olson and Sher Cummin. And Kirk has written a book about attachment in the classroom and I visited with them and I got to visit the school that Kirk works at, the Parker Academy, which was amazing. And I saw the children there who mostly are on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. or they have anxieties. And mm-hmm. so the school works in a very holistic way. And one thing I really noticed and brought back to our learning centre is that they have regulation charts on the wall that each child has made for themselves that indicate you know, at this point I'm starting to get a little bit uncomfortable and this is what I can do to bring myself back to the green zone. And at this point, you know, unreachable. I need to go outside, take a break. Maybe you can call my parent or something like that. So it's about giving children the power to bring themselves back to the green but also know when they need help and and when they've gone beyond. And I thought... They have it on the board, you're saying, so that the the kids can see it? Ah. And do they use green? Yeah, they use the green and the blue and the red. Do they? Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. So for those of you that are new to our podcast, the green, as we describe it, is a place of finding ourselves more centered, balanced, and in a secure place. The red would be a place of high activation, a bit of fear and reaching out and the blue would be more of a system de-escalation, deactivation where people tend to go down in a way. So helping kids learn where they are in an emotional regulation place, that's just wonderful. And as adults too. Oh yeah. We all go there. So it's great for teachers to be able to identify when they are triggered into one of those spaces because we all react off We have our reactions to different students and their behaviours. And if we can understand that as educators, that we come into the classroom with our own regulation chart and this is what's happening for students when they are dysregulated, it's really 
putting yourselves into the um, a mind side ability, right? Absolutely. Being aware of yourself and being aware of the emotional responses of the students. And I think that's just so helpful. Yeah, no, that really is. I love what you were doing as you were traveling. You were getting to see programs with kids and being able to extrapolate that to adults and also being able to really talk about helping teachers recognize where they are and helping teachers recognize where students are and to bring in the mindset part is teachers being able to recognize where they are and what things trigger them and what things and where they are and how that relates because teachers serve as such security resources for the kids or for the adults in their classrooms don't they they're really a a representation of a secure hopefully a secure adult but as all humans we get triggered as teachers as psychologists and what you're saying is is that you were motivated to come and educate both the teachers about the students and where that one student fell and you could see that she had fallen into a place of insecurity But I love what you're doing, too. You're saying, let's educate the teachers about themselves so that they can have more reflective capacity in how they're engaging with these different types of students. Yeah. Can I tell you a story? Oh, please. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to teach. So it was an adult literacy class. And, you know, I've been living this in my head for a good year, two years now. So I thought, you know, I've been waiting for an opportunity to get back into the adult literacy classroom. And the first thing I did was, you know, I went in and said, hi, everyone, I'm teaching you today. Then I said, what we're going to do today is some reading. So everyone go and grab a book. And it was so the wrong thing to do. People in that class have really big issues around reading and to just go in and dump that was so wrong. Oh, that makes sense. Two people said, oh, I'm going home. And I had to really backpedal quickly to bring back a sense of safety to the classroom. Because they could be so embarrassed. Terrible, terrible thing to do. So um, I backpedaled and said, actually, I'm going to read to you. So I read to the class for a little while and then we did some literacy activities out of that, which was great. You know, it, it turned around. So... But you noticed their reactions and you were tuned into their reactions instead of it being a discipline issue or an apathy issue. You really recognized that through your misstep that any one of us could have done that your misstep, it created a threat and you were new and you were novel. And and so you weren't necessarily kind of this the safe grounding force yet. And then they could have easily felt embarrassed or intimidated. And so they're like, oh, I'm out. Uh, I'm going home. I'm so glad you recognized it. You backed up. Oh, no. Yeah, it was really easy to, to, well, it was easy for me, I suppose, because I have been, you know, thinking about this and sort of living it for for a Mm -hmm. while now. Yeah, and and some things that I think are really important for teachers to do is to really set that attachment tone, that secure attachment tone in the classroom. So, you know, making sure that they greet students when they come in in a really gentle way or a playful way rather than a just completely ignoring them or just, you know, having them back to the classroom, doing their board preparation. Mm -hmm. It's really important for teachers to greet students and to have, you know, really easy eye contact. So when they come in, they feel like they're welcome. Adult literacy learners often don't feel welcome, don't feel like they belong, don't feel like they've got a right to be there. You know, there's often Centrelink or social security on their back about being there and doing their hours and not doing their hours and how many hours and 
So there's that kind of pressure on them as well. So they have all of their own narrative and own stories going on inside them that could make that situation feel unsafe. And what you're saying is that you really motivate the teachers or really encourage the teachers to be aware of that and how to engage and secure relating to kind of bring them into the room. Yeah. Lots and lots of teachers just do that intuitively. Right. I think that's the thing that I really loved learning about this whole area was that some of the things we do intuitively, there's a name for. Mm-hmm. When you learn the language, it gives you so much more. You can go that extra step and find out why and find out what's next. But when you don't have the language, you're sort of stopped. It's a bit stunted. Right. Well, that's true, because when you have the language either for what's happening, because it could be what's happening in your body if, let's say, that you walked in and maybe you tended to lean towards an attachment style that is a little bit more red, a little bit more sensitive to rejection or the assumption of rejection. And you walked in and everybody, your new students weren't making much eye contact and they didn't seem interested and they looked a little, you know, bored. It'd be really easy for you to interpret that yourself as something about you. And to go in some activation state that feels like you're getting rejected or abandoned and, and or you just did not accept it. And to be able to reflect back, like you said earlier, then we can come back to that, how important mindset is to be really aware of your reaction and then aware of the situation that these individuals are coming in with a state of insecurity, likely and threat that you don't overread that and, your interpretation, you were brilliant to be able to go, wait, they're leaving not because you were humorous with yourself that you made a misstep, but it wasn't because they were personally rejecting you and you were able to see, wait, 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 these individuals need more safety, more security, and you just naturally brought them back in, in a safer environment. So Linda, tell me about, so you came here from Australia to do, they they sent you on a grant to say, okay, go to the United States and come back and help us understand in these programs, this adult literacy programs, what we need to know to make them more effective. And what were the main takeaways that you found that you that you brought back to Australia from your trip? I think the main takeaways are about classroom needs to be a safe space. That's sort of old as well. But if we look at Carl Rogers, who you would know from the psychology area, but also he's an educator. So he talks about person-centred therapy, but also about student-centred learning and education. So, and adult learners bringing themselves with them and their experience and that they are self-directed and so on. But also about learning has to take place in a safe environment. So we know that, but how to create that self-environment. So if I can go back to yesterday into that classroom, The tables were all in rows and I was up the front and I just thought, these people can't see each other. It's really frustrating me. So I said, how about we move the tables into a circle? So we did that. We moved them into a circle and we're sitting down and then one of the students said, it's just like parliament, right? And so we all sort of had a bit of a laugh and someone said they were the minister for such and such. And so I said, oh, okay, let's work out what minister roles we want to have today. So we're going around the room and some people were stuck. And so I said, well, you know, you can be the minister for health, for education, for employment. And this man said, I want to be the minister for caring. 
And I said, yeah. the Minister for Caring. I said, you know, I started to say, there's no Minister for Caring. And then I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, there's so many poor people out there and I want to be the Minister for Caring. Make sure they've got clothes and make sure they can go to school. And, you know, this guy comes from a really disadvantaged background and I was so moved by that. He was like, you know, really wanting to be the Minister for Caring and to help other people. I just thought, that's so powerful. really is. Yeah. Creating spaces where we can look at each other, you know, students can see each other and be safe in that way as well, not having that backs to people. I think that's really important. And having the teacher as an attachment figure. So when the teacher knows what a secure attachment figure looks like about going to the blue and going to the red and how that feels within themselves and how that might look like with some of our students. There's a couple of our students who really obviously go to the blue and the red, but there's a lot who don't as well, who don't have those extreme reactions. So just being able to recognise that I've created this game activity for teachers to do so that they can have little scenarios and work in pairs or little groups to put the scenarios somewhere on the spectrum. But each person will have or may have a slightly different idea about where on the spectrum it goes. So it's about teaching people that the spectrum is a continuum and that each of us has our own reaction to different things that might place us here on the left or here, down on the right or somewhere in the middle. So creating a, an understanding that, that students will also be having that response. So what you're doing is you're setting the stage. You brought back the stage of really seeing, teaching the teachers that they're an attachment figure, not just that they're responsible for learning and education, but to helping them think of themselves as a base for attachment and then helping them think about attachment in their kids or their adults, but their students. So it seems like you're really advocating for a very relational engagement in the educational environment. And of course, we could use that of all ages, but certainly, especially with adult literacy, I imagine. Yeah, I think it's really important. One thing, I did a presentation in Manchester on my on the last leg of my tour there, and it was in a lecture hall. I did the first presentation to students and I was really nervous and they, you know, a couple of the students in the lecture theatre were sort of talking to each other while I was presenting and that really threw me. Mm. I really need to be able to come back and just get a bit grounded before I do the next presentation, which was their, which was to their lecturers. So what I did was I went to the door as they came in and shook hands with them all and, and met them in the eye so that I felt comfortable enough to present to them and like I'd made this relational contact. And it really worked. It was great. I I felt really calm and like I had some buy-in with them. Oh, my gosh. What a great idea. And that they also had a buy-in with you. You'd look them in the eye. You'd made this personal connection. That's brilliant. Yeah. So that really helped me. So that's why I think it's really important for teachers to be able to greet students as they come in. And sometimes it's culturally inappropriate to shake hands with someone of a different gender or whatever. So that may or may not be part of it, but definitely having a warm welcome and an easy welcome. 
something culturally appropriate, whatever would be a culturally appropriate welcome that could signal safety and caring and connection. And that in and of itself is going to set the tone for the bodies, especially for individuals that see the classroom as not necessarily safe and they're already charged up in one way or the other, and it would bring their body down to center more in this relational way. For those of you, again, that were using some languaging about the spectrum, we will have this in the show notes. We'll even put a picture of the spectrum in the show notes that might help you follow along. And we also have different podcasts, uh, I believe episode 59, 60, and 61 I'll talk about the blue and the red and, and kind of could bring further understanding of what we're talking about. Yeah, so the other things that I brought back were about mindset and mind sight. So I talked a little bit about the mind sight, you know, just being able to be present enough to know where your head and your emotions are and being able to see what's happening for the other, the student in this situation. The mindset which is something else I got from Carol Dweck's book, but also from Kirk School, the Parker Academy. The other thing that the kids had on the board were some pictures of them as fixed mindset, which is, you know, I can't learn this. and I'm not a good student. I'm not a good student. I'm no good at maths, for instance. And then a picture on the other side of the growth mindset, which is, these are some ways that I can learn. This this helps me learn. These are strategies that I use. And which brings me to another really important point, I think, about teaching adults is that they've had so many experiences of being wrong and being told, no, that's the wrong answer or no, you didn't understand or whatever, that it's really important to give them experiences or to create experiences where they can have success. So we focus more on strategies of learning rather than yes, no, right, wrong. So if we're teaching spelling, for instance, and let's use the word centre, because you and I both spell that differently, your E-R and we're R-E. So if a student wrote centre, C-E-N-T-E-R, what I might do is tick all of the letters and say, yeah, you got all the letters right, but these two are in the wrong order, which, you know, what do you think? And they can change it themselves or, you know, they've got all these ticks. There's no crosses there. So they experience success in that way. So instead of saying, no, that's wrong, you're like, oh, wait, you got all the letters right. Like, so right there, even as, as listeners are listening, you can feel how much more positive that feels instead of you got that wrong. And it's like, oh, I got all the letters right, but I just confused two of them. What you're talking about with the, the mindset, and I would imagine, especially with adult learners, a fixed mindset is that belief in ourselves that is set. And you brought up a great one because I could easily say that I have a fixed mindset that I'm a bad speller. Thank God for Google and auto spelling. So a fixed mindset is I'm just a bad speller or I'm horrible at math or I'm no good at this. And it's just a matter of a fact. And it's just like we stated as this, this is who we are. And in that position, it doesn't leave us at all in a green zone of openness and the growth mindset is, you know, I really struggled with spelling. It's not been my best thing, but, you know, I'm open to becoming a good speller. Is that a good example of a fixed versus growth mindset? Yeah. And if we, 
let's keep on the spelling thing. If we have these experiences for students where they think of themselves as a terrible speller and then they have the experience of you've got all these ticks, you just need to learn the strategies, then they can experience themselves as actually I'm really good at spelling. I can I know these strategies that I can use. I can use the dictionary. I can use Google Spell or whatever mm. it's called. And I can know that I've got the letters right and ask someone, you know, how many letters are right and say if there's three out of five letters right and the other two are wrong, then they can, you know, look at it again with fresh eyes and say, oh, yeah, that's centre, not centre or something. That's not a good example in that point. But do you know what I mean? What you're saying is it's not just good, bad, yes, no. It's, hey, there's all sorts of different ways to learn spelling. And by being open to that, you find a different strategy that of resources out there that could create a good speller in you. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to go back to the, to the ways that we taught spelling or that they learned spelling in school, where it was spelling tests, dictation. You know, we know those haven't worked for those students. Why would we repeat them in adult learning? Oh, that's so true. Repetition of you're wrong, no, you can't do it. And the anxiety comes up. You tell mm. someone in an adult literacy classroom they're going to have a spelling test. You watch them walk out the door. Oh, yeah. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if, you, if, you've, if you've changed their association to their capacity as learners in general, then they may see that as a challenge. Oh, we're going to have a spelling test, but you're going to get to use all the strategies you've been learning. I could also see them responding, and this would be a, adult literacy, this could be any age, by like sort of just a different approach. Oh, that's so funny. As all of a sudden, it's come up. I've got a personal story there related to this. It was eighth grade. I'm positive because I went all the way through middle school just deciding I was just a steady student in math because I just I wasn't going to get it and I didn't get it and I didn't even worry about it. And I turned in a test and Miss Perkins said, Ann, can I see you? And I, you know, my heart went boom, 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 boom. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? Right. And she came up and she said, why is it that you think that you're not a good student here in math? Like, why do you think that? And I said, I just looked at her like I'd never had anybody ask me that. And I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know. And she said, Ann, you could be a really good student. You are super good at math. Like, I really think you're not thinking about this just the right way. You have a lot of intelligence and you could really do this. And I really remember, I can still remember the rush in my body of adrenaline, like kind of, I was the youngest at five. So somebody's saying, hey, you know, and I just, I remember leaving going, I'm smart. I didn't know that. How did she know that? And literally, I'm not making it up. I mean, well, obviously I was able to somehow master statistics in my PhD program. I didn't become a MIT specialist or anything like that, but it really shifted the way I approach myself in education. And I, I would love Miss Perkins out there in eighth grade in Houston, Texas to hear this, but it was really a life shift. And I think everybody probably has that teacher or that a story. I hope everybody has at least something. And you're out there creating that now in your adult literacy programs where all of a sudden somebody looks at you with a growth mindset. And that's what it was, is I had this fixed mindset and she literally shifted it and said, you can absolutely do that. I don't know what you're thinking, just go try. And she sent me basically back to take the text the next day. And I don't think that I got the grade, I don't know. But I was like, oh my God. And I remember the adrenaline, the motivation and literally the attention then that I all of a sudden had 
in the process. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. She really believed in you and and planted that seed in you that you could do it. Yes. Shifted you right there from fixed to growth. Yes, completely. So I love that you're out there traveling Australia and talking to teachers about these processes of attachment and mindset and mindset. I think it's so exciting. Yeah. And regulation, which is such a big part of it. Yeah. Say a little bit more about that. I guess you were talking some of that when you were talking about the programs in New Hampshire, how important it is to teach regulation if you are a teacher at any age, but I imagine especially in adult literacy. So I think it's really important for teachers to be able to teach students that emotions are really normal in the classroom and that that we have those on a continuum and that that is the regulation continuum or sliding scale where we can go up and down. And Mm -hmm. I think it's great to have a visual of that in the classroom where you can, you know, shift an arrow up and down to indicate where you are that day or you can have it in a learning journal. There's so many ways to make that normal and I think it's not never, I shouldn't say that, but there's been lots and lots of times where having emotions in the classroom is not okay. So let's make it okay and let's make it normal by talking about it, by having visuals of it and by owning that we all have emotions and that teachers have emotions and of regulation so that when they come into the classroom, if they're calm and present and grounded, then they're in a a safe regulation space and that when students come in, you know, often they're dealing with a lot of other stuff outside of the classroom. So they're often coming into the classroom in a dysregulated space, weren't paid or, you know, they're other money issues are happening or they're foster children or they were foster children and they've got some issues around that or lots of different things that are, that are happening. Their kids haven't got lunch for school or they haven't eaten for a couple of days or there's drinking issues or addiction issues in some other way. And if we make some understanding around it by having charts and by having questions and talking about emotions, then I think that regulation is an important part of the just general discussion. It's not only what happens in the classroom, but helping the students and the teachers be aware of how they walk in, kind of combining that mindset of like, when they come in, where are they? How are they feeling? So getting in touch with that space, because some students might walk in, I imagine, especially in adults, either highly anxious or maybe more on the blue scale where they're a little numbed out and and then disconnected. So they may look calm, but maybe they're actually not very present. You're sort of suggesting as they come in to be aware of where they fall in regulation, including the teachers. And then as the time goes by, of course, if you come up against a challenge or something that it could create anxiety in your body and that that's natural. Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but there's a place where learning is optimal if you're a little bit anxious. Hmm. Yes, definitely. I don't know about the science behind that, but I just I know it. Yeah, no, the, it's, it's so true. There's a certain level of anxiety that will peak your energy and attention, which is, you know, really relevant. You talked about sometimes students have, some of these um, have been in classrooms that are sitting in the back and have learned to kind of become, look like they've become apathetic or disconnected. 
where inside they actually probably have a lot of different types of emotions that is quelling them from experiencing healthy natural anxiety that can motivate them. So being able to be aware of where students fall, and I love that you're integrating attachment in the educational environment. That's just really music to our ears here at Therapist Uncensored for sure. And uh, the way you've been able to talk about it across Australia how have they been receiving it, by the way? Uh, really, really positively, actually. Yeah, it's been a really great experience for me to be able to share. Lots of educators are really interested in it. It's become very popular at, at the moment, the sort of working with trauma and acknowledging it. So this has come at a really good time for me to be able to share. That's wonderful. The other thing that I wanted to sort of just talk about a little bit was how useful the mirror neurons are in that regulation space and the attachment in the classroom and how... Um, You're saying mirror neurons? Oh, that Australian accent sometimes. <laughs> oh, okay. No, yeah, just the mirror neurons. Oh, so you say mirror neurons. So what you mean by mirror neurons is that our ability for our bodies to respond to the emotional and engagement with somebody else and to match them. Is that what you're meaning? Exactly. And I'm not sure who said it like this, but emotional contagion. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to describe it. It's like you're catching emotions from the other person, but you can also mirror that back to them. So if someone is getting hyped up or they're too low, you, you know, you can use the calm space or the pepped up space to bring them up or bring them down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I, I remember when I was a kid and the, the, a few of the boys in our class would get in trouble for, I don't know what, you know, small petty things and they would um, the teacher would give them the strap. And I remember feeling this terrible, I call it secondhand shame, that, that in, with the mirror neurons how we can, you know, a healthy teacher can make that sort of shame go away that's felt in the mm. classroom because there is a lot of shame around adult literacy, you know, being mm-hmm. there's still quite a stigma. Mm-hmm. The shame is an emotional contagion as well in the classroom. So when someone's getting dysregulated, I think that shame sort of goes around the class and if the teacher can be in control in so much as create you know, make that okay for that person to have those emotions, not, you know, no eye rolling, no... Students can often get on a sort of, you know, oh, here she goes again or there they go or, you know, that kind of thing, trying to protect the teacher. Mm -hmm. And so if the teacher makes it okay for that to be happening and not, you know, just being empathetic, then that can be a great mirror mirroring a way of ways to respond to that to those emotional dysregulation oh that's a great point yeah as I, as I said earlier I just completely forgot all of those things and just walked into the classroom yesterday and said yep we're reading today <laughs> <laughs> oh I, I can relate to that like no one's level I could sit here and do a podcast on not shaming children and walk out and go I thought you were going to be doing your homework <laughs> 
<laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so I, I can I can relate. It's it's not what we know. <laughs> That's the frontal lobe, and when we get just to, so we can relate to everybody. Our frontal lobe has so much education in it, but that does not mean that we're going to always use that because there's other parts of our brain getting active at all sorts of times. But you tuned into yourself pretty fast, and you tuned into the others, and. And recorrected the course, and that's what we're all about. It's not about getting it perfect, but just recorrecting and connecting. Yeah. Well, Linda, this has been so much fun, and we I really it it was such a pleasure to have you here in the United States. And we have got a lot of listeners in Australia, so you would be a great resource. How could they find you there in Australia if they wanted to know more? They can contact me on my Gmail account, linorhodes at gmail.com. I also am the co-president of Belbeck, which is the Victorian Adult Literacy Basic Education Council. Nice. And um, I'll, I'll give that address to you for the show notes as well. We've got a great Facebook page. Wonderful. And I'm on LinkedIn. All right. So there you have it. If you would like to get a hold of Lena Rhodes, we will have all of that information in the show notes as well as some of the other names and places that uh, she discussed and visited. And as we said, also the continuum. So I'm so glad you came on the show, Leno, and I'm really, really excited that you were able to take such, you know, find that your visit here was helpful and being able to take it back to Australia. And now you're taking it and giving it further out back to the United States and internationally. So we appreciate all the work and time you took into all of this. Well, thank you so much. My journey really got going after starting listening to you guys, so I really am number one fan. Well, that's that's very exciting. That makes us happy because that's what this is all about for us. So we really appreciate you saying that and staying a fan. Great. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We will have, like I said, all these things on our show notes. Also, Take the time, if you would, to rate and review us on your favorite podcast player. And we also have SpeakPipe, which is a way to go onto our website at www.therapistuncensored.com. And you'll see a live button. You can push it and leave us a quick voicemail, if you would. Just it's 90 seconds. You could tell us any kind of review, suggestions, recommendations that you would like. We'd love to hear from you. All right. I'd love to say the sign off. So go ahead. See you around the bend. See you around the bend. All right. Bye-bye. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.